for that unconditional love that transcends all the things that we are and all the things that we deal with. And Father, I just pray that no matter where people are today, that they would know that one overarching fact that you love them. Father, I pray that we'll be able to lay aside all the things that we carry in with us, all the the debris from the week, all the, the challenges facing us next week. I pray that we'll be able to lay all those things aside and focus on Jesus alone. That we would expect Jesus. We would expect to engage with Jesus. We would be here to hear from his word and worship him in spirit and in truth. I pray, God, that you would now take the living word of God and apply it to our lives. God, that we would not just be informed in mind, but we would be transformed in heart. And we thank and praise you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. My wife Judy is in Seattle visiting friends and family. And uh, their weather today is cloudy and rainy and we got sunshine. So I will be sure to tell her that and pass on your greetings to her today as well. Well, for the last eight months, beginning of September, we've been making our way through a series that had two titles. The first one was Mission Impossible, God's Plan to Save the Planet. Then we moved on to Love Story in a World at War. And each Sunday we looked at an event or a happening, a personal contact, a miracle, something that happened during the three-year ministry of Jesus Christ. Mostly we've been following the book of Luke, uh, a a general chronological order of events in the life of Christ based on a harmony of the Gospels. And today, over the next next three months, we're moving to a new series, Stories that Jesus told. These are illustrative stories told by Jesus. They're called parables. Jesus used parables telling stories of everyday occurrences, teaching people things of his day through, through very familiar instruments. And usually there was one main point to help answer a question or respond to a situation. And our series, which Pastor Damien and I will be sharing, is entitled... In other words, in other words, and we're going to start that today. There was a great theologian in the 1960s America who coined the phrase, love makes the world go round. During the 1960s, there was a great deal of preoccupation with this whole concept of love. Love and peace went hand in hand to describe the utopian ideals of joy, happiness, peace, and love. The free love movement proposed something that was really not love at all. It was only selfish physical gratification wrapped in in an illusion of love. True love remained elusive back then, and true love actually remains pretty elusive today. Does love make the world go round? Well, love is important. That much we know. From television and the movies, internet dating, to personal ads, we know that everybody seems to be looking for love. Love is important. It's romantic love or parental love, sibling love. Love is huge. Does the Bible say anything about love? 
And did Jesus ever talk about love? Yes to both of those things. Jesus' definition of love was a selfless love, a sacrificial love. They used the word, he used the word agape love, which is selfless, sacrificial love in describing love. And he told stories about love in parables. And today we're going to look at one of those stories. A story about spontaneous love. Jesus tells this story to answer a question and to make a point. And I'd like us to join the story and ask, so what? What difference does it make and what's the point? What's the point? I'd like you to turn with me to Luke 10. Luke 10, it's on page 843 in the Bible in front of you, or you can look at it on your tablet device or iPhone. If you are looking at your iPhone during the sermon, I understand that you're probably tweeting something I said that was profound <laughs> and not emailing your friend. Okay. Luke 10, 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he traveled, came to, the, to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put a man, the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and I will return. I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Here we have a story within a story. Two real characters, a lawyer and Jesus. And then five hypothetical characters, a random man, robbers, a priest, a Levite, a car salesman, and a Samaritan. Actually, there was no car salesman. I'm just making sure you're listening, okay, just so you know. I want to look at each character this morning and see who we identify with. Who am I the most like? And what can we learn from every one of these characters? Six character sketches. And we're going to start with the lawyer, the lawyer. This lawyer has been at the edge of the crowd for a long time. He'd probably listened to Jesus before. And he was just waiting for a chance to ask him a question, to give him a chance to challenge Jesus. It says he stood up to test Jesus. This man was a religious lawyer. Is there such a thing today? Yeah, probably. Probably a religious lawyer. I'm looking at one, sorry. <laughs> he was a scribe. And she's religious, too. Okay. It was a scribe in charge of the Mosaic Law. 
He was so into the law that he likely carried passages of scripture written on pieces of paper. They put them in these tiny boxes and they hung them on their head, on their forehead. It was called the, the, the practice of phylactery. You can find it in Deuteronomy 6. That's how you could tell a lawyer then. Do you know how you can tell a lawyer today? No, we're not going to go into that. His philosophy of life could be summed up in two questions. The lawyer's philosophy of life. Two questions. Number one, letter A, how can I earn my way into God's favor? How can I earn my way into God's favor? That's what he was really asking when he asked, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? The emphasis on, was on doing, or by what can I, by doing what can I inherit eternal life, was his question. Eternal life was a future of heaven and rewards reserved for those who were good and right in God's eyes. He thought he could earn that right standing by what he did or by what he did not do. Now, many people today live by that same philosophy. I talk to people all the time, <clears throat> and they, they try to justify and they try to talk about all that they do. They feel, how can I earn my way into God's favor? What do I need to do? How much do I need to do? How often do I need to do it? And how do I know when I've done enough? The human tendency is we like to earn what we get. Then we can take credit. It gives us some self-satisfaction. I earned it. I earned it. Also, we like to know what we're getting. We like to know if we're going to get an A on a test, a, a pass for a driver's exam, so much commission on this sale, or so many hours equals so much pay. We want to earn and we want to know. So Jesus told the guy, what did he say? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this, and you'll be fine. In other words, if you want to earn eternal life by doing it, by doing, this is it. Love God perfectly, and love your neighbor perfectly. God's standard is absolute perfection. And it has to do with our heart, our love, and our affections, and it is demonstrated by our actions. And Jesus says to the lawyer and to us, do you want to earn favor with God? Just no problem. Just be absolutely perfect. It's a pretty high standard. Well, the lawyer, when he heard that, understood what Jesus was saying. So he saw he came up short. So then, wanting to justify himself, he says, so, who is my neighbor? He's kind of dodging the question. Who is my neighbor? The second question in his philosophy of life is, who am I obligated to love? That was the question. Who, who am I obligated to love then? He wanted to lower the bar from perfection to percentage. Perfection to percentage. Now, we have two daughters, and when my youngest daughter, Brianna, turned 16, on the exact day when she turned 16, by 9 a.m. that morning, she had passed the driver's test and had her license. By Thursday, she had my car. I don't know what was wrong with that picture. But Brianna passed without a perfect score. She only got 92%. 92%. But the, the standard for passing was 80%, not 100%. It wasn't perfection. It was just a certain percentage, good enough to pass. Well, this lawyer in our story thought he could lower the bar of acceptance before God by lowering the bar from perfection to percentage. And of course, the way you can do that 
is excluding some people from your life. You be exclusive in those that you can love and exclude those who you could not love. So he said, who am I obligated to love? Can I just love certain people, like 65% of the people or 80% of the people? Can I just love God 75% of the time? What is my minimum to pass to get eternal life? See, the Jews actually split hairs over the great question of who their neighbor was. We can ask that today. Who is my neighbor? We kind of go, well, um, anyone within 100 feet of my property line? Maybe up to 250 feet, but no further. How about all the people in my neighborhood or all my part of town or all the people in my social class? Maybe it's all those that are of my ethnic background or my religion or my denomination. Maybe those that are in my political party. All of people who believe like I do. If you are left of center or moderate Republican or never Trump or moderate Republican, then I'm meddling now. We won't get into that. The Jews of Jesus' day had a lot of loopholes. They had what they called racial exceptions. And you know what? We're not all that different today. Do we categorize who our neighbors are, who we are obligated to love? Is it just people like me? The Jews had defined neighbor as an Israelite, no Gentiles, no Samaritans. Gentiles were non-Jews, Samaritans were interracial marriages, people from interracial marriages. In the 1990s, Judy and I were pastoring a church in Tacoma, Washington, and, and Tacoma was a, was a multicultural melting pot of all kinds of, of races and, and all kinds of people groups. And as a result, we reflected the, the area, and, and we had multiple races in our congregation, and we had multitude of multiracial marriages, interracial marriages. And we thought nothing of it, since Tacoma was so diverse. However, I discovered that there was so much prejudice against interracial marriage that most of the couples that were interracial marriages in our congregation attended interracial marriage support groups to deal with the prejudice and hate they dealt with every day. It's a major city in the 90s, and I'm going, are you kidding me? Prejudice. I was shocked. But what is your prejudice? Who, who am I obligated to love? See, there was no love in this man. Who is your neighbor? The lawyer's philosophy, how can I earn my way into God's favor, and who am I obligated to love? And Jesus answers that question with a story, a story, a parable. There was this 22-mile stretch of road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's called the Bloody Way. Since robbers hid among the rocks and crevices and caves, if, if you've been to Israel, you know that this coming down from Jerusalem down the side of the hill towards the Dead Sea to Jericho, it's this windy road, and there are lots of cliffs and a lot of places that people can hide. Nobody was safe. So let's look at the second character. Let's look at the man. His status of life was, I'm injured, hurting, and have been robbed. I'm injured, I'm hurting, and been, been robbed. Now, you may be here this morning, and you identify with the victim in our story. Maybe life has been unkind. Maybe life has stripped you of everything. Maybe you feel beaten up this morning. Maybe you're helpless. Maybe you're, you're wounded. Maybe you're in lots of pain. Many people in our circle of acquaintances are in this kind of a state. Our neighbors. Maybe 
maybe not hurt physically, but maybe emotionally or psychologically, spiritually empty and in pain, living half dead in their existence. This man represents our neighbors, our neighbors. It's not very pretty. Naked, bleeding, beat up, and unconscious. And our neighbors, if they're in this kind of state, are not very fun to look at, to be with. They just have a lot of needs. Needs love. This man needs love. Well, the third character or characters are the robbers. The robbers. And their philosophy of life says, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. What's yours is mine, I'm going to take it. Most of us are not so blatantly selfish that people would be able to tell that we live by this philosophy. However, many people live by the rule of take, gain, get, make a profit at somebody else's expense. And getting isn't bad unless it comes at the expense of someone else. That is how we actually can rob someone. No love. So the lawyer had no love. The robbers had no love. Most of us would say, well, I'm glad I'm off the hook. I'm not that bad. Well, let's move on to the next characters. Let's look at the priest and the Levite. Their philosophy of life was, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. What's mine is mine, I'll keep it. These guys had schedules to keep. They had reputations to protect. They wanted to protect their names, their assets. And, and what would happen if this guy sued? Now, and there have been many times I've read in the newspaper about a good Samaritan that stopped by to help somebody, and they did that, and they got sued for some reason. Somebody that pulled somebody out of a burning car, and they got sued, you know, that happens. But these guys were afraid of the consequences of helping somebody that was hurt. And these guys practiced, first of all, value judgments, letter A. They drew judgments. They, they said, this injured man is unworthy of my time. Who are they to judge someone else's worth? They just, they just walked by and said, he's not worth my time. Do we do the same? Do we judge other people's worth by their situation, by their life station? Are we standing ever in judgment? And then they practiced exclusion. These men excluded not only this man, but certain people from their social circles. They would never come into contact with the poor, the prostitutes, the sinners, the Gentiles, and people of other races or cultures. They had nothing to do with those people. And evidently, they also would have nothing to do with the injured. Do we ever practice any form of exclusion? This can be as obvious as hating someone of another race or as subtle as keeping to ourselves in our group, avoiding contact with those people. Who are those people? And thirdly, there was a fear of involvement. Fear of involvement. I think we all deal with this one. These men did not want to get involved in anything inconvenient or messy. Jewish ceremonial law made a person unclean if they touched a dead person. They couldn't tell if this guy was dead. But they placed more importance in their religious duties than helping a wounded, helpless, dying man. Do we ever put our religious duties ahead of ministry to the wounded and dying? And I'm speaking in a spiritual sense here. We get so busy taking care of church business and taking care of our, ourselves inside the church, feeding and nurturing the saints at the expense of reaching out to those who are 
wounded and dying. And we put money in the offering plate for missions and say they'll take care of them. And we forget about the fact that we have neighbors too. We are more concerned about things being comfortable for us that we give scant attention to making unchurched or spiritually seeking people feel comfortable. Do we come to church and pass by the wounded? Do we come to church and pass by the dying? Do we ignore the needs of our neighbors who are dying and going to a Christless eternity because we're so much in a hurry to get to church? What's mine is mine, I'll keep it. It's the philosophy of the American church. Preserve our resources, hang on to what we have, take care of our needs first. It's not about us, it's about them. No love. What keeps you from spontaneous love? Well, the fifth, fifth character in our story is the Samaritan. He's our hero. He's the hero, the unlikely candidate, the hated half-breed. Jews constantly challenged the racial prejudice of Jesus, constantly challenged the racial prejudice of the Jews, and he does today. You know, racial prejudice has been in our history for a long, long period of time in this country. Whether it was the days of slavery, to the immigration of Italians or the Irish, the influx of Southeast Asian the people who, whole people groups came from the Southeast Asia right after the Vietnam War. To Central and South Americans and Mexicans and today Muslims. I'm not going to get into the politics of that. I know there are dangers, but the question is, do we hold racial prejudice? Love for our neighbor knows no boundaries racially, economically, or socially. The philosophy of life for the Samaritan was mine is yours, I give it. What's mine is yours, I give it. This was true, spontaneous love. First of all, he saw him. He was looking for people in need. He was alert to people on the road. It was his mission. He saw him. He had compassion. He had pity. His heart identified to this man. He felt his pain. Compassion, the word compassion means to feel sorry for with a desire to relieve the pain. And then he took action. He sought to relieve his suffering. And God calls us to see the hurting and the wounded. They're all around us. Be alert. I heard a, sto a great story yesterday, last night, about someone who went into a store and noticed a woman who was on the verge of tears and, and hurting and you know, the first thing you think of is, man, I'm on schedule here. I got, you, know, you know what? She said, I need to talk to her. So she went up and said, are you doing okay? She saw her and took time to minister life and to pray for her. Seeing them, the hurting, having compassion, then taking action, doing something to relieve their suffering, point them to the healer, Jesus, who can relieve their suffering, carry the burdens. Spontaneous love. The spontaneous love happens. You can't plan it. It happens spontaneously because the need is there. We see it, we feel that need, and we take action. That's the kind of love Jesus calls us to. Now, part of this man's action was immediate. He helped him right away. Then it was long-term. He took his immediate needs and put him in the care of someone else, offered to pay for his recovery. 
This is spontaneous love. And, and we as a church need to function as a trauma center, finding people in need. But we also need to function as a rehabilitation center. Some people have needs that go on. Spontaneous love requires time, energy, money, and long-term commitment. Are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to pay the price? It costs to love. Now note, Jesus didn't say, if you love like this Samaritan, then you will earn eternal life in God's favor. No, he had already made it clear that we could not attain perfection and earn God's favor. Jesus wanted to teach them who to love and how to love. Well, the final character is Jesus. His philosophy of life was perfect love. And he said to this man, go and do likewise. He said, who was a neighbor to the wounded man? Obviously, the Samaritan. Have you ever asked the questions, how can I earn my way into God's favor? Or who am I obligated to love? And what is your philosophy of life? What's yours is mine, I'll take it. What's mine is mine, I'll keep it. What's mine is yours, I give it. Spontaneous love. Perfect love. Go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus gave relevant stories that made points that really challenge us today. And Father, we admit that we can't in and of ourselves produce anything close to spontaneous, selfless love like this. It's only by your Holy Spirit's power that we can be part of that as we extend your hand of love and spontaneity. Father, I just pray that as we move about, we're going to be the church dispersed in a moment. We're going to be all over the Eau Claire County area, maybe all over the state this next week. And I pray that you'll call us and focus us on that mission of spontaneous love. That we, too, can be instruments of healing for people in need. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we? Next Sunday, baptism, both services, come to celebrate. We're also doing communion together, too, so uh, we want to see everybody back. Let's be dismissed with God's blessing. Now may the love of God the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. God bless you.